0: Your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kanapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox.
1: and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox podcast. My name is Mike Rankin. I'll be your host. James Fox is alongside us as the co-host and senior editor at FutureSox.com. We are a part of SoxMachine.com. Become a patron if you're willing. SoxMachine.com has all the information for you, really helps us out, and we're looking for big things ahead in 2023. Part of that is a brand new contributor that we're excited to announce. We made the announcement on Twitter about a month and a half, maybe two months ago, but Jeff Farer is now part of our team and we're super excited to welcome on this episode of the podcast if you're familiar with jeff ayer's name it's probably because you've been reading his stuff at irish wire focusing on notre dame athletics and now he's part of future socks so james let's kick it off with jeff this question why is notre dame still independent and why are they getting so much consideration for the college football playoff every year
2: Uh, I'd just like to point out to everyone listening that this is not part of the pre-show notes, and I was not prepared for this line of questioning, so (laughs) (laughs) I am not ready to defend Notre Dame vigorously, as I typically do, but uh, guys, thank you for having me. Uh, Notre Dame is having a rough year. The independence of Notre Dame is not for me to consider, and I'd just like to go forward. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, thanks for that, Jeff. It's right. uh, awesome to have you. And we're going to talk some White Sox baseball because I know you're prepped for that. Yeah, he gets, to, uh, he gets to
3: talk about one of the other disappointing teams in his life today on this podcast. <laughs>
2: so, yeah. Listen, I got injury injury management on one team. I got one team with an aging quarterback. I got, listen, it's, it's just bad times all around here. And
1: hey, we have the Bears. Go Bears. Uh, that's something to look forward to. Am I right? Hey, Jeff, we have to figure out this managerial situation. Because I don't have a clue. James is trying to figure things out as well. Do you have a sense of what's going on in the White Sox front office? Because let's catch everybody up quickly. Ozzie Gian got an interview, and apparently Ozzie Guillen did pretty well. Right? The White Sox were very happy with sitting down and talking to Ozzie Guillen, which I think is a story in and of itself. Joe Espada has been a name that's been floated a- around the league for a long time. He interviewed for the Cubs job in 19, didn't get it, of course. But he's always been in the mix for multiple teams this cycle. And working with Houston, there's Dusty Baker's future in question. But apparently the White Sox are out on Espada. Now, Those are reports being floated around those who are in the know, and we take those pretty seriously. So with the knowledge that Joe Espada likely not the manager of the Chicago White Sox in the near future, a couple of names surfacing. We mentioned Ozzie Guillen, Kevin Long, longtime hitting coach, has had success, Pedro Griefel, also another name, Mike Schilt. I don't know what your feel is, Jeff. What do you know about the manager situation? And among those names, is there anybody that jumps out to you that says, yeah, let, let's let's go with that for the Chicago White Sox future?
2: Well, let's go. First of all, I know as much as you guys do, or you guys probably know even more, but the White Sox are always so clandestine about these these kind of talks and whether it's players or or managers. But and they, like we both mentioned off-air, it's like they like it that way. They like the confusion. They like people not knowing what's going on. Uh, from the start of the process, and James hit it right on the head when we were talking off-air, was that Sandy Alomar Jr. was the guy that I had wanted from from Jump. And he just has always felt like a respected uh, coach, and he was a respected player, and he had a good career in uh, Cleveland, obviously Chicago, at some point. So I just am confused as to why he's getting no talk. Uh, the other guys, you know, Griefall was someone I was – Okay, that's it's kind of a name off the radar for people. Uh, Schilt, are you confused about what actually happened with him in St. Louis, but he was, I mean, they were, they, were, they were successful in St. Louis, so it's a little confusing as to why there's no more talk about him. Uh, you've got, I, I'm against the Cairo hire or any kind of insular. I, they just need to go outside the box there and take somebody else. Espada, I mean, same kind of thing. Bench coach for a successful team. Why not Espada? But now we're hearing that there's, it's definitely not him. And that's a little interesting to me. I heard this week, someone had mentioned, mentioned Carlos Beltran this week. And that's another interesting, but if they're not going to go with Hinch because he was a cheater in Houston, then why are they going to go with, with Beltran? And now you're hearing Kevin Long. And Kevin Long is, well, he's fifty four, fifty five right now, and he's been a successful World Series hitting coach for the Yankees, for the Nationals. Uh, it makes sense. It's a little different because the, the Sox traditionally haven't hired, I mean, I can't think of the last hitting coach they hired as a manager. I don't know if there has been one because I, I think Jerry Manuel was bench coach Ozzy was third base coach so it would definitely be intriguing especially when you consider um, the number of White Sox position, position players that may need some work in that area uh, but that's more of him as a position coach rather than a an actual manager and what his ability as a manager is still up in the air because he's never done it so I mean there's a lot of confusion right now I just the one guy I, I just and this is nothing against Ozzy because I I love Ozzy for everything. Oh five, but I mean to have do, do people not remember what the last two years with Ozzy were like? It it was it was arguing. It was the the front office and him didn't get along. It was it just was not a good experience. So to go right back to that would seem so much um, like the Yankees back in the day with Billy Martin and Steinbrenner. Like that way, it just it just wouldn't make a lot of sense to me. So. I, I don't know what you guys feel, but if I had to choose one guy I'd be not knowing anything, it would be Sandy Albra, but he's not getting talk. So if it's down to Kevin Long, okay, let's let's go. As long as it's not some an octogenarian that's been retired for 10 years, then let's let's get it done.
3: Yeah, I mean, one of my big things with this was, Jeff, and you said it. Like, I just like didn't want another insular hire. So, if they, yeah. you know, if they pull like, you know, somebody's AAA manager that I've never heard of that like blew them away, like, fine. Mm-hmm. That's better than like Jim Tomey or something, obviously. You know, the one, like the Mike Schilt thing, like, if, like, we haven't really heard him, right? But if we, if it was him, like, it could work, but I would fear that it's Larusa influenced. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, like Sandy was fine. like, you know, Espada was my guy. And that's like not happening after Scott Merkin said it and Dan Bernstein has said it. So if this is Kevin Long, I think it's really interesting. Um, like the hitting coach to manager thing hasn't really worked that much like in the history of the game. But he's the right type of guy for what their what their need to do do I feel? it? Like? I feel like the single biggest issue is they don't hit for enough power and whether he's the manager or the hitting coach, like I'm sure he'd have a disciple underneath him. So for mm-hmm. me, and like, it kind of feels like it makes sense if it's Kevin long. Cause like, I don't really know what else they're waiting for. Like they, they didn't have to wait this long. So like, if you're not waiting for somebody in the world series, like I'm kind of surprised it's not done just with, you know, some of the stuff that's coming up on the baseball calendar here soon.
1: Kevin Long has success across his career because, one, it shows literally winning a World Series. But when you look at the numbers, especially when he has the title as hitting coach, the teams that he is coaching with have produced um, base percentage, tops of the league, hitting percentages, tops of the league, a lot of these numbers. So you talk about just the philosophy and what Kevin Long would implement in a roster that the lineup was just completely misused. I think they were trying to implement a hitting philosophy that didn't necessarily match up with hitting tendencies on the team and the skill sets and all that stuff. So if you're looking at Kevin Long specifically, Jeff, and then others as well with your Sandy Alomar point, I wonder what the priorities are when you're looking at a qualified candidate. What do you want that candidate to do as their philosophy going right into a new job with the White Sox?
2: I think that there's been so much um, talked about with regard to the, I mean, in their inability to, you, you can't get any consistency out of this current roster. And what the reason for that is, I don't know if there was too much pressure put on a lot of these young guys at, at, at an early an early stage. I don't know if there's been, you know, there's been talk about, I mean, do we need a Latino manager to communicate with the, the, the heavy Latino influence on the team? Um, I, I'm not quite sure, but there's just, there doesn't seem to be, a rhyme or reason to the front office's search for manager, and that's—I think—that leads to a little bit of the like they need someone to stabilize everything, at least a manager to come in and stabilize everything. Because when you hired Larusa, immediately there was the disconnect you saw between the front office and the in the ownership, and that just it it spelled doom from the beginning. So, not to say that not to make too much of this managerial hire, and that it needs to be some kind of like stabilizing force, but it kind of needs to be because right now. If they don't have something, someone that comes in there and calms the waters and lets these guys perform it to the to their actual ability, and what we've seen at points over the last two to three years, well, then you're getting to the point where you need to make a decision about the direction of the team and what whether or not they need to keep going as is or they need to burn, they need to you know take some of it apart, and that's unfortunate considering we've all been building to this point or the Sox have been building to this point for the last four or five years. Um, to get to this point where they've had two playoff seasons and then scrap it is is disappointing. So, uh, with a guy like Kevin Long, that kind of I'm a little bit fearful of that just because he's never done he's never managed before. And to say you're you're taking a team that's had two playoff runs in the last three years, and then you're also looking for them to get right back there with with a guy that hasn't managed before, well then that's I, I don't know. I, we're in a very confusing place as, as White Sox fans and i don't they they have they must have some kind of plan because i can't make heads or tails of it right now
1: so james let me ask you this question when it comes to those in charge we know that it's jerry's call however he in this situation has to work with rick and others who are trying to make this higher although we all default to this is jerry's call how is it possible for this organization to come to an agreement where collectively they say this is the direction we want to go this is the person we want to hire and how challenging is it for the next manager to understand the dynamic of the front office as well as understand that this roster is likely going to bring back a lot of the core pieces that struggled last year but i I can't imagine that these players are going to be as bad as they were last season as well but with all of that being said the question that we always talk about on on 670 the score on the bernstein and home show is who is in charge and we know it's jerry
3: yeah, so I mean, it's like ultimately Jerry, but Jerry doesn't do like all the other steps, right? Like I've always said like on this podcast, like when he hijacked the process last time and hired Tony La Russa, then like, you know, Jerry should get on the phone and make trade calls and like start doing the other stuff too, right? But he, <laughs> he he like doesn't, That that's why this whole thing is insane. So I truly have heard that like this interview committee is is Rick Hahn, Chris Getz, and Jeremy Haber. Like th- those are the people... That are doing the interviews now. Can they hire somebody without Jerry saying like thumbs up, thumbs down? Like my guess is no. So that's where this gets difficult. I don't know how much, you like how involved Kenny even is. But I mean, I, I've heard from multiple people very close that, you know, supposedly it's a Rick Han hire, which is why I've kind of said if it ends up being Ozzy, you know, it kind of looks like the same thing as last time. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's very hard because. Like, Jeff brought it up with the, the, you know, I think you need a Spanish speaker on staff, like, in a high-level role. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you really just, you need bounce back from these players because they can't change out the roster, which is why, to me, Kevin Long does make some sense. Like, he's never, he's managed in the minors, but it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And if it's kind of like, you know, Ethan Katz is staying regardless, and if Ethan Katz is, like, running the pitching side and Kevin Long is running the hitting side and then the front office is involved too. Like, I guess that could work like in theory. Right. But yeah, I, I, I don't think we have to worry about this for too much longer because I think it'll, I think it'll be done, you know, fairly soon, like barring an official announcement after the world series. But it's like, it it is very tricky because I understand wanting to go with an experienced candidate, but like they, they kind of just did that. Like, I think they just, they need to find the right guy. I don't want, you know, like a two-year fix to try to win the World Series, they should hire a manager that could be here for a decade, in my opinion.
2: Mm-hmm. That's, James, that's the, that's the thing I'm thinking about here is when you talk about, and I'm not just talking about like when Ron Washington came up. I mean, he's 70 years old right now. And I think Ron Washington is one of the smartest guys in baseball. And But at the same time, I would rather hire someone that has a potential long-term future here and is not just a short-term patch. And not that I think LaRussa was in a, a class all by himself. Like that was, I wouldn't even lump him in with Ron Washington because LaRussa was retired for 10 years and Washington is still actively involved with the successful team. Um, but, you know, the Sox have traditionally hired managers during Ryan's ownership that aren't that experienced. Uh, you know, Renteria was, had the job with the Cubs and La obviously, but before that, I mean, Ventura, nothing, Ozzie, nothing, Jerry Manuel, bench coach, Bevington, nothing. So I I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, if it's a first time hire, which it appears it's going to be. And I think that's fine. And Kevin Long has got two world series championships under his belt. So trying to think positive about this.
1: When it comes to the future of the franchise, I think it's an interesting conversation regarding a guy like Ron Washington or Bruce Bochi. Obviously Bochi lands in Texas. But when it comes to Bochi, I felt like well, initially when the announcement came out that he got hired by Texas, I was happy because that meant the White Sox couldn't hire him because it indicated to me that maybe they would hire somebody different. Because when it comes to Bochi, my impressions would be, okay, the White Sox are trying to win. That's great. But what about in like three years or in five years, is Bochy going to be a part of this conversation is, and he very well could be. However, there's questions in my mind regarding Bochy's future with the White Sox. If you get somebody who is taking on this job and we're talking about different than a Ron Washington type, Ozzie type, a La Russa type, then maybe that means the White Sox are going to commit to some organizational consistency. Cause what I see guys is Chris Getz, Mike Shirley and the White Sox front office committing to the organizational development side of things for the first time since I've been a fan of the White Sox. I think they want to commit to drafting. I think they want to conserve in the market so they have spots in their budget where there's freedom to spend when they have to. But we all know that they're conservative when it comes to spending. So that continues to lead me to believe that they're going to commit to their minor league system. And that's where I want to take this conversation, guys, because when it comes to the future of the Chicago White Sox, They've grown over the last three years within the organization. They're making savvy signings in the international market. They're drafting high school players in the first round, which is great. They're committing to development. Jeff, do you have the same sort of feeling where the White Sox want to commit to their draft picks, to their international signings? And I I love to get your opinion as well as how the, the way that they implement their players in the minor leagues, because in the past we haven't seen it much. We talked about it a little bit in the reluctancy to allow these players to try and fail at the major league level. It seems like they're a little passive when it comes to promoting these players. So, just organizational development as a whole, Jeff, where do you see the White Sox at this point?
2: I think you know, it's to your point. I think it's still nothing but lip service until we actually see results on the field. And I think that's the struggle right now. Is we can we can want to see we can say that you know where they're going in the right direction as far as what they're investing i think Chris Katz has got things pointed the right way but until we still we see things on the field actual results from this core that they're that they're uh, leading on right now in the minor league level we're we're going to be still wondering what the what the process is because the guys that are on the major league level right now are are not producing they haven't produced the consistency and you know you talk about Rick Ricano was like okay we want long-term sustainable success well that's not here yet and if we're going to start you know like lose, use an example like Lenin sosa That was the first guy I can remember that they just called up and said, okay, we're going to, whether or not it was was the right decision or not, that was the first guy I can remember them calling up and saying, okay, you're going to go out and play second base. Now, he didn't start right away because, God forbid, we take Lurie out of the lineup. But the first guy I can remember, they just called up and said, "Okay, we're going to see if you can play whatever that there needs to be more of that. There needs to be more guys coming up, regardless of their status on the 40 man roster, regardless of their contract status. There needs to be more guys that we call up and say, we need to see if this guy can play. Because if they're they're going to continue to handle free agency and the way they acquire players in such a reluctant way, like in such a I'm not going to spend a lot of money type of way. Well, then you need to find out what cheap players on your on your 40 man in your minor league system can play now so then you could supplement it more like i think james off air you're like okay well why spend money on a 25 million dollar player when you can spend a a bunch on a a bunch of little uh, smaller players well that's the thing is like you need to find out some of these cheap pieces if you're going to handle your major league team like the way they handle their major league team you need to find out some of these cheap pieces can play instead of wait until they're 23 or 24 but They've only made this change within the last couple of years, and we're going to see, I think, in the next one, you know, one to two years, whether they do handle that differently. And I think we're going to see it this year with Oscar Colas. We're going to see it with how they handle what they do with Sosa. We're going to see what they do with Suspitus. So it'll be it'll be definitely interesting, but I can't say anything with certainty until we see results on the field as to what the change actually looks like.
1: What does it do for you?
3: I was pretty impressed with him. I mean, we we like talked about him forever. Right. And I tried to just temper enthusiasm because there was the whole Cuban Otani thing, which was nonsense. And he (laughs) hadn't played, he hadn't played for so long. So it was like, okay. And it is like kind of an older type guy, but he was like really good in the minors. And the thing I didn't know, like he might be, you know, like above average defensively in an outfield corner because he played center in the minors. And people said he was mostly fine. So it's just like something they haven't had. Power from the left side, right? And, you know, like somebody that could actually play the field. Now, their only left-handed bat that gets imported into this lineup for 2023 can't be Oscar Colas. He has to be extra. Um, So, yes, they should still sign someone. Whether, you know, like, you know, Brandon Nemo is probably not going to happen, right? But, you know, somebody. I would get a left-handed bat. Um, and add Oscar Colas so then you have two left-handed hitting outfielders I mean they just they need left-handed hitting bats everywhere so yes we will see Oscar Colas. they put him in Charlotte to end the year I think that was like the telltale sign that he'll be in spring training with the big league club like with a chance to make the team and you know I, my guess is they have him marked there like in pencil already so yeah we're gonna see him he had a, he had a big season and he's gonna you know he's already like 24 I think so he's part of this thing Mike but it he can't be the move. He Oscar Cola's can't be like what they do this offseason to win the central next year.
1: So Jeff, we're at the part of the year when Sox Machine has an open forum, so the the Sox Machine offseason plan for the Chicago White Sox, and you told me that you're working on one. Do you have some of your plans to share that may help this White Sox team?
2: How many drafts have I been through already? Um my wife looks over and goes, "What are you still doing up?" I'm like, "Well, <laughs> I don't want to. T- I don't want to honestly tell her. Well, I'm working on my White Sox offseason plan right now. Uh, and everything revolves in that plan. Is you know what James just said about Colas plus another left-handed bat. I'm I'm already penciling in Colas into right field. Yeah. Left field. I'm not re-signing to Abreu because I think they need to figure out what's going on with Vaughn and put him in his actual position for the first time in his career. Uh, they need to hire an actual left fielder." I said sign on the actual left fielder as opposed to sticking a first baseman in the outfield or Eloy. Second base and then a left-handed starting pitcher. Like Those are the three things I'm looking at. And whether they deal from – I know that Josh Nelson just posted a, a plan where he's trading Hendricks, which I, I totally get because they're going to have a lot of uh, money in that bullpen again, which I don't think you can do. And then we all called it last offseason. Why are you spending money on Joe Kelly and Kendall Braveman? We've got holes everywhere else on the roster. So my focus right now, when I'm putting it together, will be another corner outfielder. It will be a second baseman, whether that's a, uh, a cheap option, because I'd rather them invest money in an actual outfielder than a second base if we're prioritizing those two. And then I also think they need to get a left-handed starting pitcher. And, you know, they had one right there for him last year, and they decided not to, to take it, which stinks when that guy was originally part of the core of this whole rebuild uh, to just let him go. And I, I won't mention his name because it makes me too upset. But that that will be the core of what I'm trying to put together and I'm hoping to have that out tomorrow uh up on Sox Machine. So let me uh let me give some draft number five and we'll I'll send it over <laughs> yeah. to you guys. It's fr- it's an it's an incredibly frustrating thing that I do voluntarily, which is insane mm-hmm. because I can and Mike when I texted you the other day, I was I can't believe you don't do one because but then I got into it and I'm like, oh no, I I know exactly why people don't oh, do it. Oh yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah. It's like stick your head in a hot oven. And then hit it with a hammer right after. Yeah, no, it's it's very, (laughs) and like like, but at least Jim Jim was gracious with the hundred and ninety million though. I think.
2: Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and you know the the bad thing is, you know, you put something out there that like I called two years ago for a Lance Lynn trade. I got literally got that right. It wasn't the right pieces, but I got that right. But then I think I called for a sign a re-signing of James McCann. And the signing of Jackie Bradley Jr. And I mean the number of things I've I've just gotten totally wrong. Uh, I'm not even going to mention the trade of Michael Kopech I brought up last year. So it's it's been more more bad than good.
1: Well, you know what it is, Jeff? It's your your opinion is formed as a result of the stupid ass White Sox and their decision making <laughs> over the last handful of years. I mean, we can't help but think or at least try to see through the lens of the White Sox when we're making these decisions. Well
3: that's what makes the things hard because you have to think yeah, you have to like think like them when you're doing it and it's very hard to do.
2: I was gonna say that you guys like associated trying to associate yourself with smart White Sox fans or people you, you say are sox White Sox fans, but smart White Sox fans like you two or Or people you talk to online like, uh, you know, Josh and people I haven't met, but you've talked to online, P. Knowles, uh, Josh Nelson. uh, But you think that by associating with smart White Sox fans that you would get all the White Sox crap out of your head. And it just doesn't. It's too it's too rooted in everything that you're just you're conditioned to think that this is how the White Sox operate. So then it screws up your line of thinking.
1: I think that's what makes Sox fans special though. I mean, we have like this mind meld <laughs> across the board of under, just understanding how the White Sox operate. James, did you uh, put any thought into this?
3: No, not yet. I mean, I might like I've <laughs> I've I've never I've never done one. Um and now that the high school football season's over for me, like you know, I'll, I'll have some time and not, um but I don't know, for me it's always weird like not doing it like i need to see the qualifying offer decisions usually like before Mm. i even like start to think about like you know like i I can kind of project it but i just like kind of know want to know like what's in front of me right because even there's going to be some non-tenders that that could make sense and like once you start getting into the weeds it's like very difficult to do i just i've always kind of felt like it's early but it's what it's what they do and they're very successful um like doing these plans. So, and it's also like, I just, I don't know. It, it's very, very difficult. And there, can, there could be some, some tough decisions made. I'm curious to read some of them because some of them will just be like, I feel like they're just going to get rid of the whole team, which probably won't happen. But there's, there's probably some people that are angry enough. One thing, Jeff, that you mentioned though, You know, if it's second base or right field, right, like I agree with you, like it might be Oscar Colas in right field, but they still need an outfielder. And whether AJ Pollock comes back or not, like he needs a platoon partner, I would feel much more comfortable going internally at second base than doing nothing Mm -hmm. externally in the outfield.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think there's little chance that Pollock doesn't pick up his option. Because I don't know where he's getting that kind of money on the free agent market, um, so you you factor that into the the piece. So you're sitting there with Luis, with Robert, with Pollock, with Colas, and then you know whatever they choose to do with Eloy. And I think Eloy is going to have to DH at least you know in some parts and where how they platoon things. And this is where kind of it, you see the Abreu push isn't just at with Vaughn and Sheets being there. It's with the outfield and Pollock's option being or picking up his option because that's going to create another roster spot or it's going to eliminate another roster spot. So you've got Pollock, Robert, Colas, and Eloy in the outfield slash DH at some some points. Plus, you still have Sheets and Vaughn, but you need someone out there that's a plus defender next to Robert, and that's you can't. There's no one inside the organization that solves that problem. Second base, I mean, I'd be fine just. I mean, anyone that could hit eight or nine and and have a positive glove out there would be all you're looking for really if you've got bats that are performing at the other positions in the outfield and you truly do upgrade that corner outfielder spot but I mean you never know they could they could just roll back out there with with Pollock Eloy Luis and and Colas and that's it and they don't add anybody
3: yeah because even even if it's like Tyler Naquin or so you know what I mean like they, Mm -hmm. they just I think like the Adam Engel replacement has to be a lefty that can hit righties And then that doesn't even consider Oscar Colas, like even if it is cheaper, right? Like we've talked about Jack Peterson for years. Like maybe that's not the guy, but like a guy like that, that can face right-handers, they absolutely have to add because I don't, I don't think Engel will be back or should be back. So that that does open, you know, one spot for that type of guy that hits left-handed. That's, that's at least the way that I'm thinking currently.
1: James, let me ask you this. Rick Hahn mentioned that, you know, you can't throw money at the problem. We're going to get creative in trade talks. What, outside of, obviously, Andrew Vaughn, do the White Sox have as a position of strength within the organization that they could deal from and ideally bring back some major league ready talent?
3: Yeah, I mean, like, I guess you could trade relievers, potentially, just because they're, they're so, like fungible anyway like that's the thing that like to me it's a jerry reinsdorf owned team so it's like never gonna happen but like it should be the opposite they should throw money at the problem like that's like exactly how they should fix this they should spend more and spend over their mistakes and then just you know at least for this next year right because then you're gonna have to kind of pivot anyway but i mean if that's true like a lot of these guys don't have much value anyway. Like we could sit here on a podcast and say like, Oh, trade Grandall and Moncada. Well, then you need to replace those left-handed bats in the lineup. And you need to find somebody to like, take those guys without you eating all the money, which isn't going to happen. So like, I guess I'd ask you like the, both of you who are even like the guys with value. Like you could save 10 million on Lucas Giolito and get something for him. You could trade Liam Hendricks if you want, but then you'd have no closer, you know, like you could get, really crazy and trade Tim Anderson. I just like, th- those are the guys though. Like I, I don't really, I, I just like, don't really know how the shakeup would even be orchestrated.
2: Yeah. I mean, you, you look at Hendricks and Graveman both. I do is Does a team see Kendall Graveman as a potential closer? Cause you get him at $8 million. Uh, Hendricks at 14.3 or whatever he's at right now is, could be potentially below market value. And you have one of these contending teams that could, trade for a closer or trade for him but other than that i at this point i don't even think you deal at why, why deal giolito when you're dealing at the bottom of his value I, I don't understand that like there's not many guys in this roster because of the way they performed last year that are even close to their perceived value so you'd be trading you know, even tim anderson who was hurt for most of last year like you're not going to get the what you value what your the appropriate value is for tim anderson based on what he did last year None of these guys are really, even, even Robert, who's when he's healthy is probably your most valuable trade ship on the entire roster, but he isn't proving yet he can stay healthy. So really there's little to nothing on this roster, not to seem too doom and gloom, little to nothing on this roster that's going to give you appropriate value or, or plug it, as many holes as it would be like it, Graveman or Hendricks are the only two that I would even perceive. And that you could, t- you could conceivably do that. If you're coming back next year, uh, the bullpen with, I think you absolutely pick up Lopez's you, I uh, think you get Lopez back. You've got Joe Kelly, who is not going anywhere, unfortunately. Uh, you've got Lambert, Deakman, Bummer, Crochet coming back. I think it, Ru- Jose Ruiz, whatever you think about him, at one million dollars is a relative bargain. And then you have Davis Martin, and then you know what do you do with Graveman and Hendricks at that point? I think if you're building this team back up to be a winner, and you're putting so much time and effort to get a to get the bullpen, you know you spent throwing money at the bullpen well, you need a lead in order to use that bullpen appropriately. And they didn't get enough leads last year. So let's work on the rest of the damn roster because there's too much money being thrown to the bullpen right now. And I think that's the only place that you could even deal from and get appropriate value back.
1: Yeah, sounds like more of the same, a lot of the same names returning just based on – because you make a great point, Jeff. It's The White Sox may value a player a certain way, but if the market disagrees, then the White Sox – can't move it it just wouldn't make any sense and I asked the question to you the listener as well email us at futuresocks at gmail.com if you have any answers about just positional strengths that the white Sox have within their organization that could allow them to move some of these players whether it's the players at the big league level or some of the guys in the minors that the white sox like in the top 15 prospect range go to uh, soxmachine.com and search future socks, top 30 for our uh, postseason top 30 list to get a little bit more feel. But I asked the question, guys, because it you know, that's what Rick Hahn said he wanted to do, but okay, so then who are you going to trade? I like what you said about Lucas Giolito. I think it's going to help him now that he has a full offseason where he could communicate with this with this team and, and make sure that he's not doing anything that'll hinder him at the beginning of the year and you just want him to be in athletic shape. Not to say that he wasn't at the beginning of the year, it was just a totally different body form that he had um that ultimately did not pay off I think the White Sox are really banking on those core players to bounce back like they have to have a dead cat bounce these guys aren't as bad as they were last year and that'll help a ton also they have to stay healthy obviously but when you look at the catcher situation as well leaves me a little bit concerned because I don't like Grandall I think he's a backup catcher at this point. I also don't like Sebi Zavala as your primary catcher, despite him having success at the plate. I mean, there's a lot of things that were speaking out loud, but something that I thought was interesting is what about the middle infield depth? What about the infield depth that the White Sox have within their system? Guys like Brian Ramos and Jose Rodriguez and Cosa like, Montgomery and Oscar Colas, I think are going to be a part of the White Sox future as well as Ad- Andrew Vaughn. So like, those guys to me are untouchable. I think you want to mm-hmm. hang on to Dylan Cease. I don't think there's any reason to move on from Lucas Giolito. I don't think you move on from Joan Moncada. Maybe there's a Norge Vera, Christian Mena, those infielders that I mentioned, Lenin Sosa, Yolbert Sanchez even Yolke Cespedes, I don't think you're going to get much for Cespedes at this point, but those types of moves may be on the horizon for the Chicago White Sox to get where they want to be uh, to bolster their 40 man, because otherwise I am not seeing much on their, on their active roster where they can flip and get some value. So I'd love to throw it back to James. If he has any, any thoughts on what I just kind of rambled off there, as well as something related to Jose Breu, James, that I know you wanted to get to.
3: Well, so, I mean, they are going to have to like they do need some help internally. Right. Like I think we can't go too crazy to the point where it's like, you have to spend on everything because like even the smart teams, like the Sox, should be similar to the Atlanta Braves, in my opinion, where, you know, some of these guys come up and they do become like long-term pieces for you. So whether that's, you know, Jose Rodriguez or Lenin Sosa or Romy Gonzalez, right? Like if one of them is your second baseman, like that would be wonderful. And then, You know, if you trade the other guys like that's, you know, they should be unearthing bullpen arms and they kind of did it. I think they showed last year with the the changes in Reynaldo Lopez and all of a sudden Jimmy Lambert's a high leverage relief option after being like a number five starter, you know, projected in the minors like they should be able to do those sorts of things. And, you know, I kind of like where they've gone recently with their drafts. We'll see, you know, internationally, like if anything changes. But I mean, you know, they do have to develop some of their own players and, and we'll see just how much they rely on their system going forward. But yeah, like kind of in closing, like Jeff, I wanted to get your opinion. Just, you know, they do have some regular free agents here, right? Like Johnny Cueto and Elvis Andrus. And I think Velasquez, but like the, the big elephant in the room is, is Jose Abreu. And it kind of seems like they're going to move on from him. Um, like, what are your thoughts just on the whole process there? Like, you're getting rid of maybe your best hitter because, like, they kind of have to. Like, I just, I don't really see another way around it. I don't want to see Andrew Vaughn in the outfield again. I guess, what are your thoughts on that situation and what they're going to do here? And then, you know, maybe what they should. All
2: right, well, let me preface this with saying that Jose Abreu in the in a lucky era that we've had as is, is White Sox fans with first baseman, with Frank and, and Canerco and now Jose. Uh, Jose is probably my favorite of the three, and it, I grew up watching Frank Thomas, so that's that says a lot. There's been so many points where you're you you see enough of Jose struggling at, at points where you're like, okay, when is the downfall coming? Is it going to come? And do we now looking at it within a contractual context? Do we want to pay for that eventual downfall? Now he's still a, the power went away this year for whatever reason. Uh, his his average was still there, but. If the rest of the guys on this team are performing at the level that we've we've seen them perform at points, whether that's Mikado, whether that's Eloy, whether that's Luis, he's he's looked in a different light. I think we're looking at Jose as the best hitter on the team right now because all these other guys are struggling. If these other guys weren't struggling last season, I think we look at the situation at a totally different aspect. So I don't want to pay with with having two other younger. If you're looking for you have holes on the roster right now that you need to fill. And because of the lack of depth in the minor leagues, and because of the fact we don't have solutions at the minor league level, they need to, like you said, James, throw money at it. Now is the right time to throw money at the holes you have on the team because there's not a lot of trade chips which you've already been through. So why are you going to pay money to Jose Breyu, even though he's a, he's a you know, what do you four four WAR last year four point two? Why are you going to pay money to Jose Breu in his age thirty six season when you have cheaper solutions? And you've got holes other places on the team. It's tough. For me to consider that emotionally, just because I think Jose is so important to this team. But that didn't get you anywhere last year. Like it, That got that got the White Sox out of the playoffs. It didn't really matter. So, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are, are on it, whether bring him back or not. I think in a vacuum, obviously, you'd love to you have Jose Oprea on the roster. But you have Andrew Vaughn sitting there who is yet to play his natural position on a regular basis. You have Gavin Sheets who, you know, whatever you think about Gavin Sheets, again, another guy who is playing out of position, but he's a left-handed bat um, who's cheap and has performed at times. And you've got a glut of now with Pollock's options picked up, you've got Pollock, Colas needs to play because he's cheap. I think Luis Robert and Eloy, I just don't see a a spot for him because it's it's also going to prevent you from filling other spots on the roster.
3: Yeah. So to me, it's like, it's more about Andrew Vaughn than it is Jose Abreu, right? And Mm -hmm. I look... I don't think Andrew Vaughn has been kind of what I've expected so far. Like, that doesn't mean that he won't be, right? Like, I, you know, I was throwing Paul Goldschmidt comps out there for Andrew Vaughn, and like that has clearly not happened. But playing in the outfield has definitely hurt him. I mean, he was the worst <laughs> outfielder in baseball. Like, he's worse than Aloy, he's worse than Sheets. So for me, it's just, it's an either or for me. And I think me and Mike even have differed a little bit on this. And it's mostly because I do not trust the White Sox. Like, Andrew Vaughn cannot play in the outfield anymore. So, if you're deciding that you're going to bring Jose Abreu back and he's going to retire for you, then then they have to get rid of Andrew Vaughn and like I I don't really like that idea, but like I just like don't see a way that they can coexist on this roster. And you know, I've gotten the pushback like, "Oh, first base DH for both of them," but we know that that's not going to happen. We know that you know, if Jose Abreu is on this team and somebody will need to DH for some reason and Andrew Vaughn will be in right field and we'll be doing the same thing like over and over again. And it just like, doesn't make much sense. So, you know, they have to choose, I think they'll choose Andrew Vaughn, but it's, you know, it's, it's not easy. Like letting a, letting a franchise icon walk, like probably, you know, a year too early.
2: Well, a couple things, what you brought up James, I don't think you're Paul Goldsmith. Comp is is far off. I'm going to be I'm going to be crazy, and this is a recorded session, so I don't think it's far off. Vaughn has more homers through his through age 24 than Goldsmith did. Not that that matters again, but I mean the White Sox to to the point about trading Vaughn. The White Sox were so short sighted because they essentially devalued two of their young assets in Vaughn and Sheets by playing them out of position. position. So whatever you I mean, there are people that are going to be able to read through that and say, okay, we're willing to take a shot on Andrew Vaughn. He hasn't been playing in this normal position. We'll put him at first base. We still think there's value there. But you've limited the market because people have seen, okay, and maybe Andrew Vaughn isn't what he is because he's been playing out of position and not hitting the way we thought he was going to hit. So right there, you've got two guys that could be trade assets that were devalued last year by playing out out of position. So it's just a total mismanagement of guys that could be assets. So you're and really, this is all about being able to accumulate assets, then estimate where your team's going to be and then decide where you're going to deal from. And because of the way they've mismanaged some of these situations, it's limited what they can do. And I don't know if you ever you're not going to get what you think for Andrew Vaughn on the open market right now, because he's been playing to your point, James, he's been playing out of position and you haven't probably seen him like there. I think there is a mindset thing to playing. The position that you you played when you were successful and he hasn't been able to do that yet and as long as jose is there it's not going to happen
1: i think there's so much to the andrew vaughn conversation because been talking about it on the podcast since they drafted him I think this is going to be their best hitter and he's getting close to 1500 plate appearances that's sort of where I base my projection I said once he gets to that number you'll start to see the consistency start to develop there were issues in his game last year that were very apparent and especially in the outfield, we, we covered it at nauseum it, it just craters his worth and I think if he fixes a few things at the plate in terms of his approach, you know, take a little bit more walks, so you want to see him get on base more, and obviously split the gaps at a more consistent rate. You want to see the OPS get up higher and the OPS plus increase. But I think Andrew Vaughn is just an elite hitter, and he's got the approach that suggests as such. So I, I'm a fan of the way that the White Sox are sp- – at least to this point, valuing Andrew Vaughn for what he is, because obviously they know more than anybody else the type of person and player that he could become and is at this point. It's just a matter of everybody else on the roster. You want more flexibility with some of your position players as opposed to just a one-trick pony playing out of position. It's killed them. And it's been a massive reason why this has been a failure outside of the whole Tony LaRussa thing. So, Lots of optimism to leave you with the listener here on the Future Sox podcast. That's what we do, Jeff. This has been awesome. Please come back. We're gonna have you on the podcast whether you like it or not, uh, sometime in the near future. And we're looking forward to all that you contribute for us at Future Sox and Soxmachine.com. Glad to have you as a part of our team,
2: fellas. Thanks for having me. This is an absolute blast, even though it was pretty depressing. But anytime we get to talk baseball <laughs> anyway, anytime we get to talk baseball while the leaves are, are dying and it's winter time, it's a it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, it, it really. This is the best part of the year, especially when the White Sox are in the mix. Um, you know, we can take them as serious contenders, whether they are or aren't. I think at this point they are, because uh, boy, what? if if they're not, then we have some serious issues. Lots to cover on the Future Sox podcast moving forward. Hopefully, the White Sox didn't announce a manager by the time you're listening to this podcast, so it makes us sound even better than we are. So when we when we talk to you next time on Tuesday, we. Release our podcast every Tuesday. You can subscribe to us anywhere you get your podcast, Megaphone, iTunes, Spotify. We have so much more on tap for you. The offseason plans are coming. We have non-tender deadlines on its way. The 40-man roster is going to be shuffled up, which we expect to be done. And the White Sox are just going to have to show us. And they're going to have to make us believe in them again because they really haven't given us any reason to being in the offseason of 2020. For James Fox, the Senior Editor at Future Sox and Jeff Farer. My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox podcast. We'll talk to you all next Tuesday.